Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon presents Part 1 of the Gospel of Luke, Chapters 12 and 13. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Welcome to our discussion of Luke chapters 12 and 13 tonight. We get two, uh, but I'm going to go back to 11 real quick because we didn't quite finish this section where Jesus was denouncing the Pharisees and the lawyers. While he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat at table and the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of extortion and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give for alms those things which are within, give for alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. So we see that Jesus saying here that almsgiving is redemptive. Almsgiving is reparative. It's penitential. He says, put your money where your mouth is. Or really, he's saying, put your money where your heart is, Pharisees. So that's an act we do, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And it's a reparation for sinful hearts. So it's good to be generous. Put your money where your heart is. Woe to you, Pharisees, says Jesus. You tithe mint and rue and every herb. We know that spices and herbs are really important in Middle Eastern cooking. Rue is a medicinal herb. Uh, It can be a condiment or even an insect repellent. And they would tithe mint and rue, but neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. And every time he says, woe to you, Pharisees, It's curse to you. Curse on you, Pharisees. You love the best seats in the synagogue and salutations in the marketplace. Still, we hear about the best seats in the synagogue. I checked, and this is a temple, a a Jewish synagogue, Temple Emmanuel on Fifth Avenue in New York City, Upper East Side. And among the congregation of this synagogue are the late Joan Rivers, comedian Michael Bloomberg, who's a billionaire, former mayor of New York City, Jeffrey Zucker, the president of CNN. They go to this synagogue. The New York Post reports that this Jewish temple charges $3,275 annually per seat per seat to sit down, to sit in the first 10 rows for Sabbath or special high Jewish holidays. And then the New York Times covered it as well. Tickets for high holy days like Yom Kippur, highest Jewish, highest holiday, Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. This is a huge issue and many Jews recoil from what they deride as the pay to pray model. Young Jews, millennials particularly, are saving their money and withdrawing from religious life, dropping out. Especially on the day of Yom Kippur, it's very crowded. You have to pay to get a seat. And it costs more than Hamilton to go to Temple. Hamilton seats now in New York City are $849, and it's, it's more to go to Yom Kippur. So which do you think uh, you're going to go to? Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the best seat in the synagogue, even back then, and the salutations in the marketplace. Woe to you, Pharisees. You are like graves which are not seen, for men walk over them without knowing. And that was considered high sacrilege activity in the Jewish culture to walk on a grave, to step on a grave, known or unknown, because the holiness of the cemetery is paramount. It's it's as holy as the holiness of the sanctuary. So you don't step on a grave. You don't sit on a grave. Uh, And there are Uh, This is the highest real estate on the face of the earth, the the, uh, Jewish cemetery in Jerusalem. 
One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying so, you reproach us also, us lawyers. Woe to you, lawyers, Jesus said, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burden with one of your fingers. So these are the lawyers. They're the ones, the scholars that are interpreting the laws of Torah. They had come up with 613 mitzvah laws. And it's like building a fence around a law. So they would build fences around fences around the laws right here and put another fence around it, another fence, another fence, another law, another law, another law to protect the people. So here's an example in Deuteronomy 22, 8. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone fall from it. So this is interpreted now as a new requirement that they have to have a fence around their roof in case someone would fall off, then they'd be guilty of their blood. So you've got to build a fence around your roof now. So stuff like that, they're making it too restrictive, too hard. The, the laws are being interpreted too strictly. They're a burden to the people. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you were witnesses and consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you built their tombs. So they would build these fancy tombs. Maybe if you've been there, you... you a real landmark is this tomb of Zechariah facing the old city of Jerusalem, and it dates all the way back to the first century. And therefore, also, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of them whom they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. The generation he was speaking to right then and there, the blood from Abel to Zechariah. And that's pretty much A to Z. Like all the blood of the prophets is going to be on the head of this generation. There are at least three historical accounts of three different Zacharias getting murdered in the temple. And so he's saying the blood of Abel to Zechariah, A to Z, Alpha to Omega, is on the head of this generation. So now we advance to Luke 12 and 13. And he's talking about being true or false. Like, do you guys like true or false tests? That's cool. When you had to take a true or false, because at least you have a 50% chance of getting it right. But uh, it's a 50-50 true or false. But Jesus is saying, are you a true disciple or are you a false Pharisee? A true disciple has no guile, no duplicity. What you see is what you get. A false Pharisee is full of hypocrisy. And in the meantime, many thousands are following Jesus. The new kingdom is advancing. As he says the kingdom is drawing near and uh, he's taking it away from Satan. He's doing a lot of healings. Now he's going to do a lot of preaching and teaching in these two chapters, parables. And so there are many thousands following him now. And he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, leaven, you know what that is. It's a, typically a yeast, a substance added to dough to make it ferment and rise. So we have our favorite leavens that we use if you're a baker, and it's something that makes the dough rise and grow. The leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. What does that mean? Hypocrisy is making their order grow. It's just like it spreads like wildfire. Sin does. As a noun, hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Pretense. If you're a hypocrite, you'll know because your kids will say, you are such a hypocrite. <laughs> I have experience, or your spouse will point it out. So, hi, my name is Hypocrite. <laughs> Wearing masks, you know, living two-faced. I love your sweater. That is so cute. 
Did you see her sweater? It is so hideous. I can't, I can't believe she's wearing it. So it's duplicity, guile. When you are with a hypocrite, you feel like someone is constantly, constantly judging you and that you can never, ever live up to their expectations. And so Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now we're seeing some hypocrisy in our own church right now, and it really stings. We can really see it, right? You know what hypocrisy is when someone's supposed to be doing something moral and they're not. They're living a double life. So this priest sex abuse scandal is really making us examine our own hypocrisy and take the log out of our own eye. But it's just really, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be this way. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So there's nothing new under the sun. This isn't the first time there's been uh, bad shepherds or hypocrisy. Now, state by state, prosecuting attorneys are demanding records and making information public for the protection of citizens. This is the level of hypocrisy that has come to the surface. And Luke says this, which is comforting. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And that's what's happening now. And it's really painful, but it's really hopeful because this needs to be purged out and exposed to the light so it can be acknowledged, healed repented of and the victims helped. So Luke goes on to say, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, they have no more that they can do. But I will warn you of whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I tell you, fear him, fear Satan. He's a robber and a thief, and he comes only to steal and kill and destroy, we're told in John 10. Fear him. Fear him. The leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. So let's talk a minute about the opposite of leaven. There's leavened bread and there's unleavened bread. What's that? Well, remember the death of the firstborn, the 10th plague, when finally Pharaoh's firstborn son has died. He has so resisted God. And uh, he says, get out, get out, go, Moses, go, go, get out. And they have no time. They need to go. They need to, no time for the bread to leaven. Get out, get out, get out. Pharaoh said we could go. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And the Lord says, this day shall be a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast for the Lord throughout your generations and you shall observe it as an ordinance. How long? Forever, forever. The feast of the unleavened bread. It's a forever perpetual ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall put away the leaven out of your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall what? Be cut off, cut off of Israel. It's a serious ordinance. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout all your generations as an ordinance forever. He says it again. So this is a forever ordinance, the Passover meal, the Seder that they celebrated right before the 10th plague, and then the feast of the unleavened bread. It's never going to pass away. It's a forever ordinance of the Lord. The Lord never lies. So it is the final Passover meal that is mass. And the endless unleavened bread, that's the perpetual forever ordinance. We're still eating unleavened bread to this day in the Eucharist. Leaven makes things grow or rise. The Pharisees use hypocrisy as a leavening agent. It's growing and growing and growing throughout their community. It's getting more. You just see the intensity increasing. Sin is like a leaven. Sin spreads. Sin grows. It's like a cancer. 
analogy of cancer, like you have one normal cell, the cell mutates, the cell can't repair itself, and the damaged cell multiplies. That's how sin is. It starts out small, it grows and grows and grows, it affects the whole body. What does it need to be done with it? Cut out. Cut out. Yeast are a single cell fungi. They are egg-shaped cells. They can only be seen with a microscope. It takes 20 billion yeast cells to weigh one gram or one twenty-eighth of an ounce of a yeast cake. They're small. They're sugar-eating funguses. They have a real sweet tooth for sugar. So they will eat sucrose, fructose, glucose, or maltose. And yeast is very strong and capable of fermentation. And it's a process that makes dough rise. And the process is actually an alcoholic fermentation that produces CO2, carbon dioxide gas, and ethyl alcohol. And the end product released by yeast cells, it gets as a liquid into the dough and it causes that gas to expand. And so, you know, there's a real art to bread making. I mean, that gas expand, you don't want too much CO2 gas or you have really, really holy bread. So in bread baking, the yeast ferments, the sugar feeds the CO2 gases produced and the dough is changed. It's actually chemically changed. The carbon dioxide gas can't escape the dough. The dough gets elastic and stretchable, and that gas expands. The dough inflates, and it rises. And it takes time. It takes time for that to happen. So if you're going to bake cinnamon rolls or bread, you can't you know, leave the house for a while. The dough's rising, and you have to have patience. Now, the fermentation will give off a wonderful aroma. So when bread is baking in the house, you can smell. You can smell that. So in scripture, we always have to interpret the meaning in context because sometimes leaven is good and sometimes leaven is bad in the Bible. Paul tells the Galatians, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. The Pharisees are leavened by hypocrisy, Jesus tells us. Matthew 16 says, how is it that you fail to perceive that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven, it's spiritual leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus cautioned them in Mark 8 to take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Paul told the Corinthians, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So it grows and grows. Now, here's a good one. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are, unleavened. For Christ, our Paschal Lamb, has been sacrificed. Unleavened is your original state of goodness, the truth and sincerity. What is your spiritual leaven in your life? What's going to make you rise on the last day? And it's going to take time for this leaven to work in your life. And there's something that's your spiritual leaven the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the new spiritual leaven that we want in our life. This is what will make us rise on the last day, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the gift the Father wants us to have. He wants to lavish it on us. And it's what Jesus came to do. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but one mightier than I is coming. The thong of his sandals, I can't untie. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and with fire. So using the Holy Spirit's gift that he wants to shower on us, we get a part in helping grow God's kingdom and helping it rise, helping it leaven, full of the Holy Spirit. And we're created to do what? To magnify God, to give glory to God with the gifts he's given us. It's all for his kingdom, not the worldly kingdom's glory. And some of you are really gifted and you've really helped the world in lots of ways in your jobs. But also God wants you to use the gifts he's given you for his kingdom growth, for that world. And, and Paul tells the Corinthians, let's celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And we know Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So... 
true or false? This is Jesus giving you a choice. He doesn't like neutrality. You got a 50-50 chance. Do you want to be a true disciple full of sincerity or do you want to be a false Pharisee full of hypocrisy? You know, he doesn't like neutral. Remember last week, the lukewarm he spews from his mouth. So he's going to give a story, a lot of stories, little stories in this chapter. And this one's the parable of the yeast, since we're talking about leaven. It's only two verses and it's super hard to figure out. So put your parable hats on. Again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. That's it. That's the whole parable. That's it. You get it? Got it? Get it? Listen again. Jesus said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Oh, now I got it. What is it? What is it? It's like a riddle and you got to figure it out and you're going to need the Holy Spirit to figure it out. That's for sure. So you think about I thought, are there any Old Testament stories with three loaves of bread and a woman? Are there any Old Testament stories with three loaves of bread and a woman? Hmm. There are. In Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to Abram by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. The Lord visited Abraham. Did you hear that? The Lord visited Abraham, and what did he look like? Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there were three men. Oh, the Lord was three men. They stood in front of him and he bowed himself to the earth because he was so humbled. He knew it was such a great, 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 great visitor. And he said, my Lord, again, he's called him Lord twice. If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought. Wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree. He's giving them the utmost finest hospitality. I'll fetch a morsel of bread that you can refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. These three men that he called the Lord. And Abraham hastened to the tent and told Sarah, make ready quickly three measures of the finest meal, the flour, and knead it and make cakes. Ah. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good. And he gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. And he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared. So Abraham is killing the fatted calf for these three visitors, the Lord. You don't just kill the fatted calf for anybody. This is the absolute best livestock he's got. This is the one we're going to hear about in the prodigal son in a few weeks, where, where when the son comes home, the father kills the fatted calf. That's the biggest you can get. The fatted calf is lean. It's tender. It's uh, delicacy. So Abraham set before them the fatted calf. He took them under the tree while they ate. Who are these three visitors? Who are these three visitors that Abraham called Lord twice and gave them his very best to eat? It's God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a foretelling of, it's a typology of the Trinity. And it's Abraham. They're visiting him. And Abraham, they gave Abraham the promise of a son. You're going to have a son. A promise. And he already has a son. I got Ishmael. I got Ishmael. No, 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 no. You're going to have a son, a son of promise. So this is foreshadowing the Son of God, the true Lamb of God, and a fatted calf will suffice for now. Next, he's going to have a ram and a thicket. That'll suffice. But stop. The angel's going to stop him before he kills Isaac because an unbloodied sacrifice will suffice for now. But one day, a true Son of Promise will be required to be the true sacrificial Lamb of God. It's all a foreshadowing. And you know, when John the Baptist sees him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It will not be an unbloodied sacrifice, but a perfect, unblemished Lamb of God sacrifice once for all. 
And so the Lord, the three people say to Abraham, where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, well, I will surely return to you in the springtime. And Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. That means she's done. She's done with menopause. She's been barren her whole life, but she has not the manner of women anymore. She is old. You know how old she is? She's 89 years old. And they're coming back next year, so she'll be 90. And Abraham is 99 years old right now, and he'll be 100 next year. So Sarah laughed, and she said to herself, "Ah, after I've grown old and my husband's old, shall I have this pleasure of a child, a son? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a son now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for God? At the appointed time, I will return to you in the spring, and Sarah will have a son. Now, what type of bread did Sarah serve those three guests? Because they were in a hurry, 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 fix the meal. Because, yeah, unleavened. They couldn't have time for it to rise. She feeds them three loaves of unleavened bread. The Old Testament, remember we talked about this last week, only makes sense in light of the New Testament in the fullest sense, seeing it in the eyes of Christ, through the eyes of Christ. Like Augustine said, the new is in the old concealed. The Old Testament is in the new revealed. So you've got to put on your Jesus glasses, and you have to think of this as a foreshadowing of Jesus, the three loaves of unleavened bread, one for each person of the Trinity. And now we have a parable about three loaves of bread again, but she's going to hide the leaven in them, and they're going to wait. And what are they waiting for? What's the leaven in these loaves? The leaven is the Holy Spirit. They got to wait. They got to wait till Jesus does the sacrifice and does it perfectly. And they got to wait till Pentecost till the Lord puts the spirit. And then, boy, that that makes the bread rise. And who's the bread? (laughs) A certain leaven in three measures of dough until it all was leavened. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit hidden in the dough, waiting, waiting, waiting. The Jews like to braid the three loaves and make a hollow loaf, three in one. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. And hidden in the three measures of flour, the leavening agent that makes the bread rise is the Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity working together. When the whole Trinity is revealed, it's the unleashing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus dies on the cross and gives over his Holy Spirit. Now the whole Trinity has been revealed. The Holy Spirit is the final leavening agent that makes the loaf of bread rise. Literally, I am the bread of life and he rises from the dead. And it's by the power of the Trinity is that done. Jesus is the bread of life. And the leavening time, we have to be patient because God teaches us slowly. That's his pedagogy over words, deeds, acts, over time. So waiting for the leaven to be revealed, waiting for the Holy Spirit and the understanding and the knowledge and the right judgment and all the gifts he wants to shower the people to make them understand. He is the final leavening agent. Now we're not waiting anymore because it's all been revealed and the father's final word is Jesus and his perfect sacrifice. We're not waiting anymore. So now we can go back to unleavened bread. It's a done deal. It's a final Passover meal for all. We enter into that same Passover meal and that same sacrifice on the cross. It's unbloodied. It's forever. It's forever. So Paul says, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
Come just as you are. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Worship in sincerity and truth. It's what he told the woman at the well when he wanted to pour out the Holy Spirit on her and have her drink the living water of the Holy Spirit. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the unleavened bread, blessed, broken, shared for all Abraham's children, the unleavened bread, the manna, blessed, broken, shared for all Moses' children, is the same memorial that we share today, the perpetual forever ordinance of unleavened bread at Mass. It's Jesus. And we're made to understand it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sarah served the Trinity, unleavened bread, but the New Testament, the time it takes, the Holy Spirit as the leaven to rise our understanding of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this new understanding. So unleavened bread returns to unleavened bread by the power of the Holy Spirit in the transubstantiation when he is called down on the altar and that moment of consecration when it changes to the actual body of Jesus Christ through him, through the Trinity, through him, with him, and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, forever. It's a forever ordinance. Okay. Changing. That was a two-line parable. Okay. Changing gears. Luke's going to talk about some natural catastrophes. And when a catastrophe happens anywhere in the world, people are going to say, where was God? Where was God in all this? Where was God? And people ask, how can a good God do this to innocent people? I don't want to worship a God like that. That's not my God. You hear that a lot. And so that's what's happening in Luke 13. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. What does that mean? The Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices mean that they were offering sacrifice and Pilate came and killed them. Pilate killed them during sacrificial offering, mingled their blood with the sacrifice. That's what happened to St. Oscar Romero. He was saying mass and blood. Someone came in and, and executed him and his blood mingled with the sacrifice. And he was martyred while saying mass. Pontius Pilate was the prefect of Rome. Roman Emperor Tiberius Caesar had elected Pilate, and Galileans came into violent confrontation with Pilate on more than one occasion, and Pilate had them slaughtered. We see it in Acts 5. Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt, and he too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. So there were some present at that time who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this? What's the answer? Jesus says, no, 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 I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. God doesn't pick on us. Like he doesn't give me cancer because I'm a bad person, right? He doesn't make bad things happen to good people on purpose. He says, no, that's not what happened. And he illustrates this with the blind man in John 9. If you remember, this guy was blind from birth. This is how God created him, a man blind from birth. And the disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Why is God punishing him? Was it something he did or his parents? And Jesus said, no, no, it's not that this man sinned or that his parents did, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. That was part one of the Gospel of Luke, chapters 12 and 13, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.